Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week we're going to be going over UFC Fight Night Gilbert Burns versus Tyron Woodley or UFC Fight Night Apex. I'm not 100% sure. Um, it feels like forever since we actually had the last event, uh, which I believe was Overeem and Harris. I might be, I believe that is correct. Anyway, um, you know, they did slam us with three events. Uh, within the span of eight, seven, eight days. Um, so that was fun. But then they, you know, give us a weekend off. And now we're back at it from May 30th and potentially the next five weeks or so. Um, I, I'm excited for it. Um, you know, it's it's about time that we got back into the, the, the run of things strictly due to the fact that, you know, the, the, the whole COVID thing has pretty much wiped out all the events in April. That kind of sucked. Um, but, you know, hopefully everything's able to get back to normal now uh fighters are starting to have their gyms open back up which is really helpful and very good um you know it seems like vegas is finally opening back up now at least the the, the apex since they're gonna have the fights there i'm not 100 percent sure whether all um all the five fights that are coming up are actually going to be in vegas there's no confirmation regarding that um the fight island is still a possibility from you know everything that we heard about earlier fight island was supposed to be ready for june so uh you know who knows if june 6th uh whether that uh, pay-per-view is going to happen at fight island or if it's going to happen in vegas not 100 percent sure but there's so much up in the air right now but what we do know for sure is the fact that this weekend uh we're having a ufc event and i'm super excited for super excited for it. it's a very low-key uh fun card um i'm hoping that i can uh watch the entire thing live i'm pretty sure i will be able to but regardless i'm super excited for it before we get into it though let's go back to uh the last ufc card we had which was ufc florida um had a had a pretty good event uh we'll start off at the top here i got i had 2.75 units on claudia Godella at minus 205 profit of 1.34 units there um sketchy decision on deciding splits me and tony thought that angela hill won so uh i'm not trying to you know get too cocky or too happy about that one but happy uh regardless that uh we did cash on that play the lock of the night play was a four unit play at minus 170 on song yudong cash tap for 2.35 units very happy to have that event in the bay or have have that decision go our way as well too because that was a highly controversial one another one that me and tony covered as well but we do believe that song yudong was the rightful winner in that fight um, we had a two-unit play at minus 198. I absolutely butchered this on Miguel Beza in terms of the line movement. I got down to like minus 140 or minus 150 come fight time. Uh, I was kind of bummed that I got such a crap line compared to what it closed at. But I'm still, you know, happy because I thought that uh, he was worth that minus 198, minus 200 price line. Like uh, outside of Matt Brown or him being too intimidated by Matt Brown, uh, he was going to go in there and do what he did. And he actually faced adversity, came back and actually finished Matt Brown, which is kind of what I expected. Maybe not the face adversity part, but at least I was expecting him to finish uh, Matt Brown there. So he cashed 1.01 units on that. Um, And the last winner we had was the under 2.5 on Kevin Holland uh, and Anthony Hernandez. We had one unit at plus 170. That cashed us for 1.7 units. Happy to cash that. I'm very upset though that i didn't go harder on that under compared to the one that we ended up losing which was my only losing one uh under two and a half on darren alkins versus nate landwehr if you look at those both of those guys you know once the judge's decision is actually read 
you wouldn't you would be a little bit surprised that that fight had actually gone to a decision. It was crazy. I thought I expected Nate to be slightly more uh, chaotic, uh, but uh, you know he's always going to be somebody. Whenever he's a part of a fight, I'm going to look to possibly bet uh, the under, depending on if it's at two and a half and if his opponent brings the the ingredients required for a potential under two and a half bet to head. So that was minus one point three units, and then uh, you know overall we cash uh, plus five point one units for a forty six percent return. Um, happy with it you know that's we bounced back from an uh an unfortunate first two events back from this whole covid thing uh so that's one event and now we can hopefully parlay that into this ufc apex event which from top to bottom again not too bad i'm glad that we finally got tyron woodley to get back into the cage uh, it feels like he's just always off for so long and then finally he just comes back out of nowhere and uh i feel like there's this just perception that people have of him in terms of being a like super elite fighter I'm not 100% sold on that. Uh, and I think Gilbert Burns has the potential of being the guy to kind of spoil that and exploit that and show people that Tyron Woodley is just not the not the fighter that most people think he is. So uh, very excited to see how that fight plays out. Uh, obviously, we got Augusto Sakai and Blagoy Ivanov, maybe not a heavyweight slobber knocker or anything like that, but should still be relatively entertaining. We also have Mackenzie Dern on the card against Hannah Cyphers. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts coming back against Brock Weaver. Jamal Hill versus Clinton Abreu, which is a very intriguing fight. Seems to have the betting community slightly split. We'll see how I uh, th- what I think about that fight later on in this podcast. Billy Quarantillo versus Spike Carlisle. That should be a great fight. That should be a sleeper fight on the card. Casey Kenny, Lewis Smoka, another great fight in terms of endless reversals and grappling attempts that we're going to be seeing here. Submission attempts, I should say. Very, very excited for that. Um, yeah, Brandon Roval against Tim Elliott. That's a great fight too. And it seems like they just, uh, they might be looking for an opponent for uh, Daniel Rodriguez who had Kevin Holland had to pull out for him last minute. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, 11 fights or 10 or 11 fights. Happy with that. Uh, at least it's double digits. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, but this is the last event leading up to UFC 250, which is headlined by Spencer and Nunez. So that should be a fun card as well. And I believe they just announced Sandhagen versus Aljo on that card too, which is another banger. But you guys are here for UFC Apex. You guys are here for the Woodley versus Burns card. Uh, and as you guys know, I've already recorded these before. Uh, so some of the lines might be off in terms of what they're currently at. What I normally do is uh, the day before every fight, uh, the day before every event, I actually release a final thoughts video on my Patreon page, which I quickly want to plug for you guys. Uh, every time I re- uh, every time I record a breakdown for each uh, fight, I post it immediately to Patreon. So like the Woodley and Birds one, I actually did that a, a, almost a week ago now. Um so the line was slightly different, but also uh, I do give people advice in terms of whether they should hit the line then or if they should wait on it. Um, I do that for pretty much all of the breakdowns of every single card. So if you're on the Patreon, you get uh, first access to these breakdowns as I record them. You get all my picks for, you know, within the the, the subscription fee, um, a ton of other things. I let you guys know what my liens are before I actually make the picks. Uh, I do a best bets article that goes through all of the fights on the card and lets you guys know what the best value is in terms of uh, a straight play or a t- over or under, which everybody should have access to. 
and yeah, I, I just have a ton of content on there uh, that should help you boil out to to make this a little bit more of a full time thing, which is what the end goal is in the in the in the long run. So uh, make sure you guys check out the Patreon. I'll link it in the uh, description below. Whether you guys are watching, listening to this on a podcast, or if you guys are watching this on YouTube, make sure you guys check that shit out. Uh, help support your boy, and let's uh, let's make some money. So let's get into these breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, and leave a comment below. Let me know if you guys agree or not with my picks. Uh, and then I'll see you guys back in the comments next week when uh, when this event is actually complete and we can see how we did. So let's get into the breakdowns. Chris Gutierrez versus Vince Morales. This fight is perfectly lined at pretty much a pick em. We got minus 115 on Chris Gutierrez and minus 105 on Vince Morales. Um, both guys are kind of in like the same space. You know what I mean? Um, more so, uh, Vince Morales is coming off a loss to Benito Lopez in a fight that you could arguably actually give to him, too. It was a pretty close fight. Uh, Benito Lopez, in terms of, uh, you know, if you were to score that fight for him, it was probably based off the leg kicks. He seemed pretty active with those. Uh, you know, definitely did a lot of damage with those kicks uh, against Morales, whereas Morales's main damage came from his punches. Uh, he w- the, that, the issue with him and uh chris gutierrez is it seems like like they they aren't really keen on getting a finish they're more so just looking for and picking their spots and being a little bit too conservative at times and that kind of is a detriment to them as to the fact that you know it to most judges is it doesn't really look like uh they're trying to go for the kill or you know it's not too convincing of a of a fight for them you know gutierrez is coming off of two wins over ryan mcdonald and gerald Geraldo de Freitas, um, both decision victories. Uh, the Ryan McDonald fight was like a, a very methodical picking that kid apart type of uh, performance. Really did well with those leg kicks, which helped him immobilize Ryan McDonald to allow him to really let his hands go a little bit more. That's the thing. I wish he let his hands go even more than that because I feel like he could have finished Ryan McDonald, kind of how we saw Luis Smolka go out there and finish Ryan McDonald uh, in McDonald's next fight. I feel like Gutierrez is quite, uh, you know, skilled. Um, he has a lot of talent, uh, as does Vince Morales. But again, they got to break that mold of, uh, you know, just being a little bit too tentative, a little bit too gun shy. It, that's probably the detriment uh, for Morales in that Benito Lopez fight as I feel like if you pull the trigger a little bit more or went for the kill a little bit more uh, he probably would have got the finish he has great hands his his, his hand speed is pretty good too um, his footwork is decent um, Gutierrez same thing great kicks great movement uh, good um, good uh, understanding of distance um, Harney Barcelos that that was uh, the first fight for Chris Gutierrez in the UFC, and that was a rough one to make your debut in. You know, Barcelos is a monster. Um, you know, Barcelos was twelve and one going into that fight. Very very dangerous fighter. Uh, Gutierrez put him on and put it on him in that first round, round and a half or so, and then Barcelos was able to come back and get the finish there. But uh, again, it's it's hard to really pick a side here. Uh, it makes sense as to why the line is fifty fifty. Uh, I'm interested to know actually what the over two and a half is. Yeah, minus three twenty. That kind of just shows you like these guys aren't really out there going for or looking for a finish. If anything, <clears throat> the one thing that you would have to really think uh, f- uh, from uh, Vince Morales' perspective is he probably thinks he won that Benito Lopez fight, 
And that probably put it in him a little bit more to be like, okay, I need to go out there and probably get a finish here against Chris Gutierrez, or I could just find myself on the back end of a two-fight losing streak and potentially losing my job in the UFC. So he might go out there and want to get the finish, maybe a, a Vince Morales inside the distance, plus 395. Not too bad of a, a price a price tag, um, considering you know the stakes uh for him vince uh, you know chris gutierrez on the other hand he's coming off of two straight victories so he's in a little bit of a safer space i i don't know i'm just not the the biggest fan of either guy here i don't feel like i can trust any guy with uh, money here uh but you guys are obviously putting a gun to my head and i'm uh i'll probably have to lean gutierrez here strictly due to his use of uh or the variety of tools that he uses in the stand-up game, which is where I think this fight is going to play out for the majority of the of the fight. Um, you know, I think Morales will still stay too far in love with just his hands, um, maybe not have too much pressure, and then you know the, the the deciding factor there is going to be Gutierrez continuously staying on those leg kicks, which has won uh, fights for people who have fought Morales in the past too. Right, that's something you got to think about. Uh, you know, I'd say Morales has the edge in hands. But I think as an overall striking game, you might have to give it to Gutierrez. And Gutierrez has also a, a minor uh, wrestling background as well, too. So who knows if we see him pull that out of the bag and, and try to get the victory that way, too. So uh, I'll go with Gutierrez to win by decision. Um, you know, the under two and a half, considering if uh, Morales really goes out there and tries to get this finish to try to save his job. Um, that plus 230, not that bad of a price tag. But uh, all in all, I'd probably skip this fight. I'll probably pass on this fight. Um, but uh, if you really want to lean one way, I'm going to have to go with Chris Gutierrez to win this fight by decision. Casey Kenny versus Lewis Smolka. Casey Kenny's coming into this fight as a minus 270 favorite. Quite a solid favorite. Plus 230 is the return on Luis Smolka here. Uh, let's start off with Casey Kenny. Pretty much every fight that you see this guy in, it's kind of like a grapple fest. There's a lot of reversals. There's a lot of sweeps. There's a lot of changing of position. Like, it's insane. It's There's a lot to take in whenever you watch his fights. You know, the Ray Borg fight really comes to mind there. Uh, the Manny Bermudez fight, obviously, as well, too. That fight, in particular, was very... Uh, in, in, inform, uh, or informative in regards to the fight that he has coming up here against uh, Luis Smolka. Manny Bermudez, high, high-level jiu-jitsu guy. I know he got tapped out by Charles Rosso, who just recently got dummy by Bryce Mitchell, but this is a different type of jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, Manny Bermudez is very offensive, pretty much gives up uh, some positions to try to chase uh, submissions. Casey Kenny was able to get out of every single one of those and come out on top uh, and eat some of the shots from Manny Bermudez. We all know the issues with Bermudez going into that fight as well, too, is, uh, you know, he just has issues with weight. He looked physically much, much bigger than Casey Kenny in that fight. So that must have been something that he was, uh, uh, you know, going up against here and he overcame it. It was, it was very, very impressive for, to, for me to see him consistently reverse positions from Manny Bermudez, uh, get up on top, uh, land a little bit of damage. Um, and then on the feet, he didn't look that bad either, too. Uh, his main thing is obviously jiu-jitsu and, and, and wrestling. We saw plenty of it in that five-round fight he got, had against Brandon Royval. Um, I was very impressed in that fight with him as well, too. And then obviously in the 
the Cashero fight, he was able to get that fight done pretty quickly, um, which just strictly a knee, a minute and a half into that fight. Uh, the Mirab Devalishvili fight, on the other hand, that's another guy that pretty much is Casey Kenny uh, on crack. Let's just put it that way. The guy, uh, Mirab, we all know that. He's a little bit of a money train for me. Uh, you know, outside of that Ricky Simone weird fight that he had and the, the bad decision in the Frankie Science fight, I think he has a lot of uh, potential to be a top 15, top 10 guy. Uh, that's Marab that I'm speaking about. Um, but that guy is just a machine, you know, continuously moving forward, continuously pressuring you, not letting you off the hook. Uh, Casey Kenny is just not able to, to, to stay up to par. <laughs> Had to get that fucking yawn out. It was just, yeah, it was just gnawing at my, uh, at my brain to get that out. Anyway, um, yeah, well, Casey Kenny, I think he's going to have a huge advantage here against Louis Smoker, who, you know, is coming off a knockout victory or a TKO victory over Ryan McDonald last time around. And they may that may have a little bit of recency bias for some people to be like, look, he is ever improving. His hands are just amazing. Look how improved he looked in that fight against McDonald. McDonald up into that fight was pretty much fighting scrubs. Um, it's unfortunate that he had to have that fight uh, as his UFC debut, uh, but it really showed, um, you know, there's a lot more holes in Ryan McDonald's game than there are in Louis Smoka's game. You know, when you see him fight guys like Matt Schnell and even Sumadarji, who had a little bit of success on the feet for the little bit of time, that fight was actually on the feet. Uh, but, you know, Smoka's game is jiu-jitsu. It's grappling. It's, it's, uh, it's wrestling. But... Even the wrestling, it's it's kind of like desperation. In the the Muderji fight, you know, he right off the gun, he's going out there and trying to shoot a takedown and trying to get this fight down ASAP. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble trying to get Casey uh, Kenny down. Uh, I, I believe he will eventually be successful, but I think it's going to be a lot harder for him to get this fight to the ground than you know, say the the again the Muderji fight, which is the one that really comes to mind here. It's going to be tough for him to get the submission over Casey Kenny. I feel like Kenny's fought uh, much tougher jiu-jitsu guys than uh, Smolka. Uh, it's ridiculous to me that Smolka, I believe he's only 28 still. What is it? Yeah, he's 28 year old, years old. He'll be turning 29 in July. But I think that uh, Smolka, that's that one path to victory that he has. And against Kenny, I think he's going to be outgunned here. I think that Kenny's going to be the stronger guy. I think that... Uh, you know his 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 sprawling, his reversals, his his scrambling ability uh, is going to make it tough for Louis Smoker to really stay on top. And uh, I think that we could see, uh, you know, uh, Kenny really wear out Smoker here. Smoker is going to really have to work here, and Kenny's pretty much done that for you know he can do that easily. Those three fifty or those three fives, no issue. We've seen him do it five fives, and it's no issue for him. He can keep that train going. Um, I don't know if Smolka is going to be able to handle that. I, I think, you know, a lot of people are looking at this line like that might be a little bit too crazy for Casey, Casey Kenny. But personally, I think it's it's perfectly lined. Maybe even minus 250. Like, I would wait for the minus 250 because I think we'll get that. I think we'll see a lot of people be like, okay, there might be some value on Smolka here. And a guy like me that's looking for, again, lock of the night plays, I really like Kenny here. Like, again, th this does play 
uh, kind of into Smoka's game in terms of, you know, for Kenny to win this fight, he's going to have to implement his wrestling. He's going to have to stay uh, very mindful of his, uh, you know, movements, whether he's going for a reversal, whether he's going for a guard pass, whatever it is. Uh, he's going to have to, you know, be at the top of his game. But I think he's going to be fine here against Louis Smoka. I think he's going to be able to break Smoka. And the fact that uh, Machna was able to, you know, lock up a triangle choke against Louis Smoko, who should have been the better jujitsu guy there, it leads me to believe that Casey Kenny is going to have a lot of success on the ground. Um, he's going to be able to smother Smoko. He's going to be able to, to to really put it on him. And I don't mind taking the juice here at all on Casey Kenny. He should definitely go in there and, uh, you know, win this fight. Uh, I saw an interview earlier this week with him uh, saying, you know, he was saying all the right things. Very, very motivated, uh, especially coming off that loss to Mirab Uh I think that uh, he goes out there, grinds out Luis Smoka. I wouldn't be surprised to see a late finish for Casey Kenny, possibly, uh, after he breaks Smoka. But it's it's tough for me to see how Smoka, uh, you know, lands any type of submission, especially after, you know, Manny Bermudez wasn't able to, Ray Borg wasn't able to, um, you know, even Brandon Roval to a, to a certain extent. Um, but I think that I'll, I'll give this. I, I think that Smoka actually does have the better jujitsu than Roy Val, but still, I don't think it's anything that Kenny hasn't seen yet. And you know, Smoka again, being 28 years old, he could possibly still be improving. He could probably go out there and absolutely, you know, dummy Casey Kenny. But I, I don't, I just don't think that's possible. And from everything that we've seen both guy from both guys, uh, I definitely think that Kenny uh, is the better one here has had the tougher, tougher level of competition uh, in the past couple of fights. Uh, you know, Smoko's only been back in the UFC for roughly three fights. He's gone two and one so far. Those two wins, you know, Sumoderji, Ryan McDonald probably already got cut, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, you know what? Let me just quickly do uh, the topology search on what he's been up to. Yeah, Ryan McDonald lost to... Oh, yeah, he, his first fight was actually against Chris Gutierrez. I'm not sure why I didn't remember that. And then he lost to Louis Smoker, and I'm pretty sure he got cut after that. But yeah, just getting back to Smoker and Kenny. Kenny's going to out-grapple him here. Kenny's going to out-wrestle him here, and he's going to eventually break him. Again, maybe a late finish, or we'll see him actually grind this whole 15 minutes out uh, from top position. Not like the entire time. I do expect Smoker to have slight success, but not to the point of actually locking up any type of choke or, or finish there. So I like Casey Kenny here. I like him at the, the odds that he's currently at. I'm going to see if there's going to be a little bit of line movement throughout the week. Minus 250 is kind of what I'm hoping for. I'd be more than happy to lay five units down on that. People can say what the fuck they want about that line being a little bit too juiced. Don't give a fuck. I'm looking for locks here. And uh, I think that Casey Kenny is definitely up there uh, in terms of a lock on this card. Um, yeah, still got a couple other things to look into. Uh, but I do like Kenny and I believe he is at the top of my list uh, with a couple more matchups to go. So Casey Kenny, I'm going to say decision just to be on the safe side. But again, don't be surprised to see him get a late finish here. Tim Elliott versus Brandon Roy Val. This fight should be bonkers. Both guys have similar styles in terms of very awkward and um, flashy and entertaining. They kind of like to throw caution to the wind and just go balls to the wall, it seems. Uh, well, let's start off with the, the UFC tested Tim Elliott, who's been around the game for a little while now. We know that he won the Ultimate Fighter uh, 
the champions edition where they actually had uh, all the champions of the regional scenes come together for the flyweights and then they all pretty much had a tournament to see who would face Demetrius Johnson at a time where you know Demetrius Johnson was going out there and just dusting all of his competition there really was nobody else for him to fight so they had to put together an entire ultimate fighter season strictly to find out who uh, should uh, you know go out there and actually fight him Tim Elliott did come out on top. Uh, he ended up going the full five rounds against Demetrius Johnson. Uh, and since that fight, he's gone two and three. He has wins over Luis Smoka and Mar- Mark De La Rosa. And then he's uh, given up losses to uh, Ben Nguyen in a 50-second rear naked choke. Uh, Davison Figueiredo in a three-minute guillotine choke. Uh, and then a decision loss to Askar Askarov last time around at UFC 246. Um the it, MMA is such a fluid and and uh, you know uh, the, there's so many ways to win within MMA, which allows for a style like Tim Elliott's to be successful at certain times. He has a record of 15, 10, and one. Uh, that's something to keep in mind here. But I feel as though this fight is a little bit of a toss up. Um, you know, obviously the 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 wealth of experience has to go to Tim Elliott here. Uh, you know, this is going to be his 27th fight, uh, whereas Brandon Roval is only going to have r- roughly about half of that. This will be his 15th fight. Uh, we're talking about Roy Val as a former LFA champion. His only loss in his recent history was to Casey Kenny, who also fights on this card. Um, but that was a, a crazy fight as well. But it showed when a fighter has a little bit more of a dominant wrestling background, they should be able to control fighters like Tim Elliott and Brandon Roy Val. With that said, we don't really know what to expect in this fight here. Um, you got to take into consideration the fact that this is uh, Roy Val's UFC debut, but this is a debut under weird circumstances, uh, obviously with this whole COVID shit going on. Um, you know, normally the, the the bright lights and the, the roar of the crowd and all of that really is taken into consideration for a UFC debut, but it's going to be like dead silence almost you're going to all all you're going to be hearing is the commentators and you know Roy Val's fought in front of uh maybe a thousand couple thousand fi- uh fans maybe less than 2000 or so I'm not sure how many fans actually come out to these LFA fan- events but you know coming into a, a weird and serene uh environment like the UFC cage especially in a you know especially the UFC Apex now um you know, it's going to be a little bit relatable more so for Tim Elliott, who, you know, on the Ultimate Fighter, you really just have like the the bench full of uh, teammates. Then you got, uh, you know, Dana, you got a couple other people there, but probably the same amount of people that are around for the Ultimate Fighter fights are, are going to be around for this uh, UFC Apex event. So Tim Elliott's definitely seen something like that. Uh, but yeah, th- this fight's going to be so wacky and, and weird and and I don't, I'm sure we'll see a ton of uh, ground game as well, where a lot of guys will be able to get the reversals. Um, I think that Brandon Royval will be able to uh, reverse Tim Elliott, just as Tim Elliott will be able to do the same. Uh, but the one thing that I found with Elliott, though, is it seems like he get, like he kind of settles for that position Uh you know, being on his back a little bit more so than he should. I think that Roy Val uh, will be a little bit more offensive with his jujitsu. I think that, uh, you know, his striking on the ground is much better too, has beautiful elbows. Uh, I think that Roy Val hits with a little bit more power than Tim Elliott. And one thing that really stands out to me about Tim Elliott is that, like, he's a fighter, but he doesn't really care so much to, like, win. It seems like the the perfect example is his last fight around against Askar Askarov in that third round you got to think that you're down in that fight right 
what is he doing for the last two or three minutes of the fight? He's just like, he's walking, uh, he's walking down Askarov, but not really throwing anything. Like he's like, he's taunting him on. He's like, hit me, hit me. And then, you know, Askarov is the one who's actually throwing, even though he's the one backing up, he's the one throwing and landing on Elliot. On the other hand, you know, Elliot's just walking forward, throwing like slapping shots every now and then, but definitely not enough. Like if you're betting on Tim Elliot, th- th- that's the last thing you want to see is a guy that's like, it looks like he's pretty much giving up, but still like 30 or so seconds left. And it's so frustrating. I, I don't know why you would want to put your money on a guy like that. I, I love Tim Elliott. Like he's a super fun fighter, but certain things you got to question here. Um, you know, again, I think Roy Vow is, is hungry for this for this spot. And this is kind of a, a match made at heaven for him in terms of a fight that could be super entertaining possibly a fight of the night as long as you know tim elliott doesn't give up fighting halfway through the third round uh both guys will be going back and forth uh but i think that we may not even see a third round here uh with that said i'm actually very intrigued with the under two and a half is now that we have that line um under two and a half plus 115 there might be some value there because we've seen tim elliott get choked out in the past we've seen brandon royval kind of you know, push to his his peaks in some of his fights. I'm not sure if Tim Elliott will be the one to actually pull off the victory here, but I like Brandon Royval here. Um, at that plus 150-ish that he's at as well too, you, you might want to look at that rather than the plus 115 of the under 2.5 uh, as I do see Royval being the one actually getting the finish. I like Royval here. I have this rule, and obviously with this whole COVID shit going on too, I, I may be able to make a little bit of tweaks to these rules that I've set out for myself uh obviously through the experience that i've accrued over the last two or so years that i've been doing this now uh you know as a actual mma lock of the night brand um but i, I probably still won't <laughs> it's probably still won't pull the trigger just to do, due to the fact that i do see other uh dog opportunities throughout the card but i like roy Valla as a dog here i think he holds a ton of value at that plus 150 line that he's at uh, and this, by the way, that rule that I'm talking about is betting on debuting fighters. You know, no matter if they've beaten their opponent in the past before, Jeff Hughes, Maurice Green, there is still an opportunity for them to go out there and shit the bed. Uh, but yeah, Roy Val seems like a very hungry kid, has a, a ton that he wants to prove here. Um, uh, yeah, I like him to beat Tim Elliott. I could see him definitely snatching up some sort of choke and maybe in the second round when they uh, really have felt each other out. But I like Roy Val here. Uh, maybe not enough to, to bet him, but plus 150 is not too bad of a line for a fight that, in my opinion, should be a little bit the, a little bit closer uh, in, in odds. Um, minus 170 for Tim Elliott, a little bit crazy considering the style of both of these guys. And we've seen Tim Elliott shit the bet on numerous occasions in the past. And especially with such an offensive fighter like Roy Val, uh, Roy Val would probably find a, a chink uh, in that weird, awkward style. And he has a weird, awkward style himself too. Again, like I've said. Um, so, But I just don't think that Tim Elliott is that that killer that's going to go out there and, and exploit that the, the the weirdness and the awkwardness of Roy Val's game as well too. So again, I like Roy Val here. Uh, I'll take him by second round submission. Maybe, no, nah, no, nah, I, I can't keep going back to my word and, and betting these debuting fighters, but I like Roy Val to win here. I'll take him by second round submission. He's a live dog. If you want to go out there yourself and t- uh, take the shot at him, I wouldn't be mad at you. But yeah, I like Roy Val here uh, by second round submission. Clitson Abreu versus Jamal Hill. 
This fight is a little bit intriguing simply due to the fact that uh, Jamal Hill seems to be a very promising prospect. And I like to emphasize the word prospect because I feel like there's still many things in his games uh, in his game that he needs to develop. He's only eight or seven and zero at this time. Um, you know, he, as a frame, he seems to have a decent frame for a 205-er. Uh, it would be nice to see him bulk up a little bit in terms of just adding a little bit more muscle mass to himself. But still a, still a young kid, at least in terms of the MMA game. Uh, he's 29 years old, still has maybe a solid five or six years, maybe a little bit more than that left in him. So we'll see what kind of progression he can make on a fight-to-fight basis. But uh, in regards of uh, the, the changes that we saw, from his contender series fight to the Darko Stosic fight. And I just want to get the, the amount of time correct as well. So he won the contender series fight July 23rd of 2019 and then came back uh, about five months later. Uh, he was actually scheduled to fight um, a month later after his um, contender series fight, but he had some visa issues. Uh, but he did come back in January of this past or of this year uh, and beat Darko Stosic by decision. That was a fight that I actually had a little bit of dog money on Darko Stosic due to the fact that, again, what I led with off the top here is the, the greenness and the prospect nature that we see in Jamal Hill. So what am I talking about? Uh, so let's talk about the good things first. He he kicks very well. Uh, he kicks often. His output seems to be good. Uh, his jab is nice. His straight is nice. He does a good job in in terms of uh, maintaining distance uh, for a good chunk of the fight. Um, but if there's fighters that are able to like swarm him and are a little bit more uh, you know confident in their punches and have cardio, they could definitely give him issues. Um, you know, Hill doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. Um, his fight against Daquan Townsend was... You know, he beat him, but we know Townsend, he he has gas tank for maybe seven and a half minutes. And yeah, in the fifth round, he was able to put put together a little bit of, uh, you know, output. Uh, but again, it was because he took pretty much rounds two, three, and four off. Um, so that's that's something to keep in mind. But, you know, Jamal Hill, he's only going three rounds here against Klitsen Abreu. And Klitsen Abreu, in my opinion, is a much more... Um, uh, legitimate fighter in a sense that he he's more proven. Uh, he's fifteen and four. He has closer. This will be his twentieth fight compared to the the eighth for Klitson Abreu. Um, but yeah, Klitson's great all around. He's a really good jujitsu uh, player. We haven't really seen his top game to 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 the best of our ability. We saw him on his back against um, against. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev wasn't able to do much there, but Ankalaev is a whole different beast compared to Jamal Hill here. Um, the one thing I don't like about Jamal Hill is the fact that he keeps his chin so high, and that's something that maybe like an amateur will be able to point out. But you know, fighting the right guy could definitely give you some some issues here. Um, with, with with Jamal Hill, we don't know uh, what kind of improvements we're going to see with this guy. Um, from fight to fight. Um, I'm intrigued by the fact that uh, Klitschner Brayu is going to bring a different type of uh, you know, uh, game plan compared to what else Jamal Hill has seen in the past. Uh, you know, Klitschner Brayu is a great southpaw. Uh, that might throw Jamal Hill off a little bit. Um, you know, with Jamal Hill holding his chin so high, I could definitely see a Brayu, you know, catching him with a left hook, uh, uh, you know, whenever he's trying to close a distance or anything like that. Uh, Hill is hittable. You know, we did see Darko Stosic land a couple times, just not to the effect, to the point of, you know, actually knocking out Jamal Hill. I'm not saying that Klitsin Abreu is going to go out there and knock him out either, but, you know, he will be successful in landing on Jamal Hill as long as he keeps his output there. But I think the real 
uh, advantage here for Brayu is going to be his jiu-jitsu. And it would absolutely mystify me if we go an entire first round without seeing Clitson Abreu try to get this fight to the ground. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, Jamal Hill make some uh, prospect and some rookie mistakes on the ground in the past. And obviously it hasn't come back to, to bite him in the fact that, uh, you know, he's undefeated at this point. But when you're fighting a guy like Clitson Abreu, you can't kind of leave your arm dangling when you're in a full full guard uh against uh you know against a guy like Daquan Townsend Townsend was able to throw up an armbar wasn't really able to finish it but I think a guy with Clotes and Abreu's pedigree he might be able to finish something like that so I truly believe that once this fight hits the ground it's going to be Abreu's world uh we've seen Abreu get uh, opponents down numerous times um Jamal Hill has been taken down numerous times as well um so I, I you know Jamal Hill would really need to have really good takedown take defense here uh, to be successful, and I don't think he's going to have that here against Abreu. So I really like Abreu. I was very surprised that he was the underdog going into this fight. Um, I could see why the fight is lined closely because there is a possibility that we could see Jamal Hill, you know, really minus P's and Q's, stay on the outside, uh, throw kicks in there every now and then. But some of the kicks that he was even throwing against Darko Stosic was kind of leaving my head scratching in terms of uh, you know, that's something that Abreu will definitely be able to grab onto and use as a takedown. So he's going to have to really be, uh, you know, uh, on t- on top of his game if he wants to be throwing kicks out there. But I, I like Abreu here. He's roughly around plus 115, plus 120. Um I might play him now. I'm not 100% sure. He's plus 117 at Pinnacle, which is my main sport book. Uh, if I can get him back up to plus 130, I could definitely see some casual money coming in here on Jamal Hill, strictly due to the fact that, you know, uh, Abreu is coming off a loss to uh, Shamil Gamzatov. Uh, Jamal Hill does look like a solid prospect just from the outside and some of the highlights that you see. But Clinton Abreu is a little bit more of a nuts and bolts kind of guy. He's not the most... Uh, you know, he's not the most flashy. That's what obviously Jamal Hill is. Uh, but I definitely believe that Abreu would be able to get it done. Even if this fight stays on the feet for a little bit, I could see Abreu being successful. My only concern there would be the the output of Hill. I think uh, Hill would be able to out, uh, you know, outpace uh, Abreu on the feet. He'll definitely be able to throw more shots on the feet. Um but again, the more he throws, the more openings there are for Abreu to actually try to take this fight to the ground, which where I believe, which is where I believe he'll be most successful. So I really like Klitz and Abreu here. Um, I think he's going to get the takedown. I think he'll get the submission as well too. I'm going to call it second. Uh, you know what? I'll call it first round submission for Klitz and Abreu to pull off the upside. He'll probably close as the favorite. So if you have access to him. Uh, you know, at the moment I dropped this pod or this um this breakdown, I would definitely suggest hitting that because I believe I will be hitting it as well, probably between one to one point five units. So make sure you guys look out for that once I drop that official play. Uh, but I really like him here. I, I think he has some value as the dog, uh, and I think he gets it done in the first round. Billy Quarantello versus Spike Carlisle. Billy Quarantello. Quarantello. This one's going to be a little bit hard to get through, so I'm just going to continue calling him Billy Q for the rest of this breakdown. Uh, the 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 line on Billy right now is minus one forty five, plus one twenty five for Spike, who probably has the best uh, you know name for a dog as his actual name. Uh, but getting to Billy Q's uh, fighting style, 
very aggressive fighter. You know, he sometimes he does come out the gate a little bit uh, slow. Um, he did, you know, face some adversity against Adrian Velaka, Kamola, Kirk, uh, a little bit from Jacob Kilburn, but not as much. You know, uh, he pretty much took over that fight from the get go. Uh, but the thing that's that's very evident about him is that he'll take whatever you're throwing out at him and dishing at him, and he's going to come back and uh, throw some heat back at you, uh, put on a relentless pressure and relentless pace on you to get you out of there um the transitions that you're showing in the jacob kilburn fight are very very impressive um you know he was pretty much one step ahead this entire time against jacob uh and then he eventually went on to get a triangle choke in the, uh later in the second round but even in the uh, adrian Velaka fight Velaka had a little bit of a you know um success in that first round and then uh uh, after that, Billy was able to take over, uh, got the back position, and was able to ground and pound him out in that fight. Um, I, I like Billy Q's style, man. The guy really likes to come forward, uh, really likes to really put the pressure on people, stay in their face, not let them breathe. Um, very, very impressive. I think he has a little bit of a, a, a pretty good ceiling in terms of where his skills could be. Uh, I'm glad that he's uh, taken on Spike here, who also, in his own right, uh, is quite aggressive and a huge power puncher himself, too. Uh, and there's going to be a slight size difference with um, uh, Spike Carlisle coming in at 5'8", and uh, Billy Q coming in at 5'11". 71-inch reach for Spike Carlisle, 70-inch for Billy Q. Uh, but I think this could be like a early Spike or later Billy Q. Um, there isn't too much uh, footage out there for Spike. Uh, the few fights that are out there for him show that he can really get the finish quick and early but if the fight goes on a little bit longer it's going to be a more difficult task for him to get the finish which is where i think that billy q's uh you know resilience and and his his tenacity will really come into play here um you know we could see a late choke for uh billy q or an early tko for spike I'm not the most confident in terms of leaning either way in terms of picking a side, especially with the line being somewhat close. But the over-under is actually where my 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 eye has really been caught. Um, minus 140-ish, minus 150-ish is what the current line is on the under 2.5. And, and now let's take this into consideration. They're giving us... Two and a half compared to the regular one and a half in terms of, uh, you know, what they normally delegate to uh, finishers per se. But for some reason, they're not really considering Billy Q and Spike Carlisle to be finishers, even though 19 out of their 25 combined fights have finished under two and a half. Not sure what the bookmakers are thinking here. Maybe they're thinking that Spike's going to try to go out there and wrestle fuck Billy Q. But even in that sense, uh, I don't think they've really seen that fight where uh, Spike, you know, after one round, this guy was absolutely gassed. Um, you know, if Billy Q senses any of that, he's going to go out there and actually finish Spike Carlisle, and that's kind of what I'm expecting to happen. Uh, again, not the most confident in terms of picking either side because Spike seems to have a lot of power in his hands and even in his kicks. We saw in that Alan Cruz fight, which is, he came in as uh, quite a decent underdog in that fight, um, you know, he landed a beautiful head kick on Alan, uh, visibly rocked him, Followed up with some punches and then was able to get the ground and pound finish there. Very, very impressive from Spike. I'm not sure how high his ceiling is because I feel like at a certain point he's going to get caught. Um, he, he needs to round out his game a little bit more. Uh, but obviously, if the knockouts and the finishes are coming, you know, roll on. Keep doing what you do, buddy. But uh, with Billy Q, I think he's going to, I think he'll be able to weather the storm here. I think he'll be able to take Spike into that second round and then eventually get a choke. 
but uh, yeah, the, the you're relative. You're getting the the under two and a half at relatively the same. So you kind of cover, uh, you know, an early spike KO, which you know I believe is his own path, his only path to victory here. So uh, I'll take Billy Q again. Uh, uh, his resilience uh, and his pace and pressure. Once he really senses that his opponent is starting to fade, I think that we'll see that one spike. Uh, you know, starts whiffing on some of these early shots uh, and then starts sucking when come that second round. That's where I think Billy Q will get it done. I'll call either a darts or a rear naked choke here, uh, or even a TKO from the the back position, just like he did against Adrian Velaka. So uh, I like Billy Q. I'm going to take him by second round, whatever finish, TKO or sub, pick up whichever you want. Maybe even the inside the distance. Let's see what the actual inside the distance line is. Plus 180 for Billy Q inside the distance. That's not a bad line. Plus 195 for Carlisle inside the distance. But regardless, under two and a half around the minus 140ish, minus 150ish line, much much better in my opinion. Uh, and that's that's probably a, a heavy play for me. Considering the other ones that I'm quite confident on the card are a little bit too juicy. Um, I like the minus 140-ish, minus 150-ish on the under 2.5 here. So once again, Billy Q, second round, uh, TKO, sub, whatever it is. Uh, but the under 2.5 is probably going to be the play. Kalin Chukagian versus Antony Shevchenko. This uh, fight is quite intriguing strictly due to the fact that Kalin Chukagian last time around went and fought Antonina's sister, Valentina Shevchenko, who is obviously the flyweight champion. Uh, Chukagian came up quite short in that fight, losing via third-round TKO. She was just not able to buck Valentina Shevchenko off of her uh, from the crucifix position. It looked like Valentina was really, really heavy on top. She did a really good job in terms of staying tight, not letting uh, Chukagian really buck or able to, to sprawl out or anything like that. Uh, looked very vicious with especially all those elbows and punches she was landing from that position. Uh, Chukagian's game is mainly a, a stand-up game, a point-fighting game, uh, you know, one where it's a lot of sticking and moving and trying to outthrow her opponent. Um, you know, if it gets into grappling situations, it seems to get a little bit hairy for her. Uh, prior to the Shevchenko fight, she did have a lot of success in terms of getting back to her feet whenever she was taken down. And unfortunately for her, it seems to be quite easy to get her to the ground um you know when she does kick and she does uh try try to keep her opponents away with any type of uh lead kick for, with her lead leg uh she seems to leave it out there a little bit too long and a lot of her opponents are able to capitalize on that in terms of getting her down sweeping her with the other leg um so she needs to do a good job and or, or a better job of getting that leg back when she does actually throw those kicks um i think that's something that shevchenko might be able to uh, exploit here Obviously, she has an insider look into Chukagian's game strictly due to the, again, to the fact that her last fight was against um, Antonina's sister. And uh, one thing that we saw in Shevchenko's uh, rebound victory uh, after she uh, had dropped that fight to Roxanne Modafferi in a fight that she got grinded out in, uh, we saw her kind of uh, lean on the clinch game a little bit more in her fight against uh, Lucy Pudilova. Um, you know, she had her in a very tight armbar at the end of that first round. In the second round, uh, Pudilova tried to go for that takedown a little bit more aggressively. And in doing so, she actually gave up her back, which was quite uh, unfortunate on her end. Um, it literally gave uh, Shevchenko her back. Um, 
and uh, she was able to re- sink in the rear naked choke. Pudilova went out like a soldier, didn't even bother tapping. Uh, but it showed uh, a lot of progression in Shevchenko's game, uh, especially that armbar. That was a quite that was quite a tight armbar, but Pudilova was still able to get out of that. Uh, I'm in, I'm interested to know whether Shevchenko is uh, going to look to implement the grappling a little bit more this time around. Uh, I don't think Chukagin is a complete slouch on the ground or anything like that you know she does train with high level people especially um john donaher she's able to get her work in there uh my question is how much work has she been able to get in with john donaher during this whole um you know covid situation going on uh i think the the covid situation actually plays a little bit more into shevchenko's favor because her and her sister and their coach that they have are like very nomadic with their training styles they like to bounce around from gym to gym but mainly stick with their core group which is just pretty much them three um you know whenever you see uh shevchenko's training uh whether it's her ig or her twitter or whatever it is they're in like a different place every now and then um one place that they're known to be quite often is galveston texas which seems to be they have like a little spot there that they're able to train at but we've seen her jump from you know uh, Jackson's to, to Colorado to to all over the place uh, so that's very very helpful for her to to kind of have this like not chaotic but again nomadic training style where she doesn't really need to worry about where they're at she's able to get training and still with Chukagin something that you really saw especially in that countdown show that they had is that she goes all over the place for her training it was especially in the embedded she she's traveling all the fucking time to to get from training to training so I'm interested to know how effective her training camp has actually been this time around i i like shevchenko in this fight i think she has the crisper striking she has a more powerful striking uh, the only thing that chukagi may have her beat out in is the output but i think that we'll see a grapple heavy style from shevchenko this time around where we'll see her take her down uh probably ride out on top i don't think that we're going to see her pull off a submission like she did against Pudilova, but she could be successful from the top and even though that roxanne watafari fight was uh you know really took the air out of all of the chemistry that she had going into that fight we could take a couple good things from there you know modafari a lot of people like to look down on her and she's always a huge underdog in most of her fights but she is a pioneer and her uh, you know most powerful game is her jujitsu is her grappling and we did see a couple of bright spots for Shevchenko in that game or in that fight. Uh, she did reverse positions every now and then. Uh, she was able to get the better of Roxanne here and there. Uh, but then obviously Roxanne was able to prevail in that fight. Um, we could see Chukagin land some reversals, land some, land some sweeps if this fight does end up on the ground. Uh, but I do like Shevchenko to win this fight. And I think that we'll actually see it uh, mainly play out on the feet. Maybe a couple trips here and there for Shevchenko, uh, but I do like love Shevchenko in this spot. Minus one forty is a nice, uh, you know, nice odds. Uh, I'm probably gonna wait it out a little bit more throughout this fight week and see uh, where that line goes. But I definitely do like like Shevchenko in this spot. I'm gonna take her to win by decision. Uh, Chukagin, like she just the fights that she wins she wins by like a hair and that I think that Shevchenko is gonna make it a little bit harder for her actually to win this fight. And again, catch that kick sweep the leg out get a couple shots off on top maybe get back to the feet and then rinse and repeat kind of uh situation win rounds like that bank rounds like that and then get the judge's decision so i'm going to go with uh shevchenko to win here by decision um possible bet not 100 percent sure but we'll see where the line plays out throughout the week uh but once again shevchenko to win this fight by decision mackenzie Dern versus hannah cyphers 
This fight is currently lined at minus 420 for a Mackenzie Dern, plus 335 for Hannah Cyphers. Uh, this fight is a little bit of uh, unfortunate for a Hannah Cyphers here. So uh, I believe Hannah Cyphers would really benefit from a 105 division, as I believe that there's a, a ton of girls that are a little bit too undersized for 115 pounds. Um, you know, Michelle Watterson is another one that comes to mind who was previously an Adam Wade champion in Invicta. Um, there's a couple other women as well too, Brianna Van Buren. Um, there's one more that's that's escaping me off the top of my head. Oh, Loma Lukbunmi, who just recently lost to Angela Hill. But these women would definitely very much benefit from a 105 division because they're like, you know, five two and shorter. Some of these women, and unfortunately, they're gonna have to go up against women that you know 115 isn't the biggest division. Obviously, we have 125, 135, and 145, but. Uh, the difference between 105 and 115 seems to be a certain, like, pretty unfortunate for some of these women. Again, like Hannah Cyphers, a perfect example of this is, uh, you know, her fight against Angela Hill. Um, Angela Hill, not the strongest or biggest 115er out there, but it seems like she had a lot of success kind of ragdolling and manhandling uh, or woman handling um, Hannah Cyphers in the last fight. She was able to secure a, a takedown straight from the tie clinch, um, you know, which didn't seem like it took uh, the cr craziest technique, but in terms of like actually being effective and muscling her down, she was able to do that. And, you know, Hannah Cyphers is a pretty thickly built woman. Uh, she is a savage. She hits with a lot of power. Uh, great leg kicks as well, too. Something that she stays a lot on. Um, but when it comes to, like, grappling up with some of these women and, and trying to remain on her feet, it's a little bit difficult. You know, she showed good takedown defense against a very high-level jiu-jitsu player in Poliana Vienna. She was able to pull out the victory in that fight. Uh, but in this fight against Mackenzie Dern, I think she's going to be a little bit out-muscled. We're talking about a girl who, you know, in Mackenzie Dern, uh, was struggling to make the 115-pound division. Uh, she made the 115-pound division finally. Uh, but, you know, she's obviously going to be the bigger woman uh, coming into this fight. We're talking about 5'4 to 5'1 uh, in terms of a uh, size discrepancy. Um, the the stand-up you've got to give to Hannah Cyphers. You know, she throws with a lot of heat. Again, her kicks are very nice. She's very crisp with her punches. But unfortunately... Coming at a size discrepancy, it, it's hard for her to close that distance without either getting tied up or letting getting shots landed on her coming backwards. My my concern here is though Mackenzie Dern's striking is still a work in progress. We saw her drop Amanda Cooper, which led to her eventual submission finish in that fight. But you know we we found out in the Amanda Rebus fight, who is a little bit more finely tuned on the feet, that if she's not able to get this fight to the ground, uh, or any fight to the ground, she's going to be in a lot of trouble on the feet. Fortunately for her, I think with her being at a size advantage and a, a bit of a strength advantage here against Hannah Cypher, she should be able to get her down. Um, am I looking to bet Mackenzie Dern at minus 420? Probably not. You know, she still has a little bit of uh, progressing to do. And even though on paper, like you, you know, uh, Hannah Cyphers lost her last fight to Angela Hill via ground and pound, on paper, you're going to assume, okay, the fact that that fight hit the ground, more than likely Mackenzie Dern is going to be able to get this fight to the ground. And I'm not 100% sold on, uh, you know, Mackenzie Dern's uh, wrestling or her ability to effectively get fights to the ground. And again, Cyphers is a strong woman. Um, she could have success in terms of stuffing takedowns from Mackenzie Dern. And then we know on the feet, she's going to have a lot of success in terms of being the harder puncher. Um, 
I'm not 100% sold either on the fact that Mackenzie Dern is an actual fighter. And what I mean by fighter is somebody that's going to, you know, get punched in the face and still be wanting to fight uh, consistently throughout. You know, that Amanda Rebus fight was very, very, like, did not go Dern's way at all. That entire fight, um, you know, she was looking to pull guard at certain points. Rebus was pretty much just tearing her up on the feet. Um I think if it gets to that point with Hannah Cyphers, you know, she's going to be struggling and then starting to gas in terms of trying to get Cyphers down. Um, I wouldn't be mad at a bit of a, what, what's Cyphers inside the distance looking like? Plus 670. I wouldn't even mind sprinkling, sprinkling a little bit on her to win inside the distance. You know, before coming to the UFC, she had a couple stoppage wins, stoppage wins on her on her resume, she's had two decision victories in the UFC. But again, if this fight stays on the feet, she could definitely punish Mackenzie Dern. Um, I would be very wary in terms of putting Mackenzie Dern in a parlay. So be be careful about that. Uh, because again, like even though her, her skills on the ground are vastly above what Hannah Cyphers has to offer on the ground, every fight starts on his feet, right? So... Um, I'm skeptical in terms of Hannah Cyphers being able to keep the fight on the feet. I'm skeptical of Mackenzie Dern being able to get this fight down. Um, you know, seeing that we've seen Cyphers get down and kind of outmuscled by bigger girls, you got to think that Dern will, will be able to get her down. But again, I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on that. I need Mackenzie to to work on her entries in terms of her, uh, you know, mixing her striking with her grappling with her takedowns. I want to see a little bit more of that. She's only had eight fights. You know, she's not the, the most weathered fighter out there yet. And then obviously she just came back from having a baby uh, after that or before that Amanda Rebus fight. So she's still trying to get back her into her home uh, after, um, you know, having a baby, which is a pretty big thing for a lot of women in their women MMA career. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Darren here to win by decision. But in terms of a bet, I'm going to have to pass on this fight. Um, again, I might throw a little bit of a sprinkle on Hannah Cyphers uh, inside the distance. Um, Value-wise, you might even have to go with Hannah Cyphers here in terms of like plus 335. That's a little bit ridiculous in my opinion. Um, this fight should maybe be like minus 250 Mackenzie Dern max minus 300 Mackenzie Dern uh maybe at that point I would feel a little bit comfortable with parlaying her uh but at minus 420 there's there's no need just to stay away from this fight Hannah Cyphers could absolutely pull off the upset here uh but I'm gonna go with Dern to win by submission uh but not but not betting on it Roosevelt Roberts versus Brock Weaver this fight is a uh, between two guys or who are still considered to be prospects within the UFC uh, let's start off with Brock. Well, let's start off with the actual odds. Minus three twenty for Roosevelt Roberts, plus two sixty for Brock Weaver. Uh, I think it's fairly lined. We'll start off with Roosevelt Roberts, who has a little bit more UFC experience than uh, his opponent here. Uh, he's four and zero now, or sorry, three and one in the UFC. He also has a victory on the Contender Series as well, where he got a rear naked choke victory there. Uh, he was able, able to quickly dust Dar Horcher in his UFC debut. Uh, had a little bit of a tough time putting away Thomas Skiffer, but was able to get the decision there. Uh, lost a very tough fight to Vince Pichel, uh, who's a UFC vet himself. And then Alexander Yakovlev, that was somewhat of a close fight. Um, one thing I'll say about uh, Roosevelt Robert is he seems to have pretty sharp hands. Um, I, I like his one-two. Um, he moves quite well. The one issue I do believe that he has is that his takedown defense doesn't seem to be the greatest. Um, you know, Yakovlev was able to have uh, success there. Vince Pichel had a lot of success there too. 
Um, we didn't see too many, uh, you know, submission attempts or anything uh, from the bottom from Roberts. Uh, obviously, in the Yakovlev fight, there were many times where he was able to get up, uh, you know, so he does have good get-ups. His only issue is that his takedown defense isn't the greatest. Um, one instance, actually, that I did notice in the Yakovlev fight that I found very impressive was, I believe it was the beginning of the third round where... Um, uh, Roberts hit uh, Yakovlev with a couple shots. Yakovlev instinct- instinctively shot uh, just because he had a, a lot of success in the second round with that with the takedowns. But in the third round, uh, you know, Roberts kind of expected him to shoot after he got his hands off. Uh, and uh, immediately, he kind of sunk in this like power guillotine uh, and uh, Yakovlev was forced to his back. And then Roberts was able to get on top from there. Um, you know, small things like that really show, um, you know, a, f- a fighter's fight IQ. So kind of knowing that the takedown is coming, he attacks something that uh, makes his opponent give up a, an even worse position. Uh, so that's something to to keep in mind here. In this fight against Brock Weaver, <clears throat> that's kind of been Weaver's like, uh, you know, go-to whenever he tries to like, or at least his path to victory in most of his fights. Uh, in the Contender Series fight, that was a very back-and-forth fight. You know, each guy had their time uh, with cage control. Uh, I believe it was... Um, is his name Devin Smith? I just want to confirm that. Uh, yeah, Devin Smith. Uh, he was four and zero on takedowns. Like he, he was still able to get Brock Weaver down with uh, relative ease. Uh, he had over a minute or two minutes more uh, cage control time than Brock Weaver, uh, but Weaver still pulled out the victory there. You know, we we saw the lack of takedown defense in Brock Weaver's game as well in that fight. Uh, in most of his fights pre-contender series, that's kind of the route that he took to try to get this fight to the ground and, and you know, uh, finish opponents that way. But I'm not the most impressed with his uh, level of competition, uh, you know, outside of the UFC. Uh, he seems to be a guy that's kind of gotten the, the notoriety and the popularity strictly due to his out-of-cage antics in terms of, you know, dressing up the way he does, uh, just being a complete wild man in terms of the way he looks and the way he talks and all the shit that he talks and all that stuff. That seems to, you know, paint a picture of a guy who, you know, doesn't really have the fighting style you expect somebody to like that to have. You know, expect somebody like that to have like a Justin Gaethje style where you're just fucking moving forward, throwing bonds and trying to take somebody out. But he kind of looks uncomfortable on the feet. Uh, even in that Rodrigo Vargas fight, which was his, or I should say Rodrigo, he's Mexican, not Brazilian, but in the Rodrigo Vargas fight... Uh, that was a fight where uh, we saw, you know, uh, glimpses of that uh, the the mediocre striking. I think Roberts is definitely going to have the striking advantage here. Uh, but in the Vargas fight, you know, he was getting hit a couple times. Uh, he got taken down quite easily, and then obviously that led to the illegal need that stopped the fight. Uh, that's not the way he wanted to go out. Obviously, got the victory there. Victory there, uh, and now he rolls into this fight with Roosevelt Roberts, which is super tough. Um, it's going to be very tough for Brock Weaver to pull off the victory here because I think that even though that Roberts has uh, somewhat poor takedown defense, uh, I think Brock's is e- even worse. You know what I mean? Uh, and also, I think that Roberts has a lot better opportunities in terms of getting back to his feet, reversing positions, um, whereas Brock kind of seems to um, you know, accept his position on his back. There are times, obviously, in the Devin Smith fight where he worked his way back to his feet, but there's nothing, you know, there's nothing special about it. Um, I, I believe the the discrepancy in skill on the feet uh, is the reason why Roosevelt Roberts is such a big favorite. Uh, but also, I think that we'll see Roberts lean on the takedowns and lean on the top control to kind of tr- to try and get the victory here. Um, 
Roberts nine and one coming into this fight. Brock Weaver fifteen and four. So Brock has a little bit more time in the octagon, or at least in the cage, I should say. Uh, initially, when I saw Brock Weaver, it was actually in the the corner of Jason Knight when Jason Knight was uh, doing the bare knuckle boxing. I'm like this Brock guy, or not even Brock. I don't even know what the fuck his name was, but this this corner man of his it just had this like unique look about him. Uh, and then it turns out, you know, once he had that contender series fight, I'm like, oh, I know this guy. Um, but either way. Um, I like Roosevelt Roberts here, and I don't mind the juice on him. You know what I mean? Like, I, I the minus 320 is not the worst thing in the world. Like, even if I can get minus 300 at one of my books, Pinnacle currently has him at minus 309. I wouldn't mind it. You know what I mean? Again, Brock's path to victory is something that Roosevelt Roberts is weak in, which is the takedown realm. But Brock is just as weak in that, in my opinion. And I think that Roberts will have the advantage um, in terms of being able to get back to his feet um, just being the better, especially better striker too. He's really, he's much faster than him. Uh, he'll have more crisp straight punches. Uh, but just looking at the, the Vargas fight, you know, just a little glimpse of the, the, the standup that we see there. Weaver just has this weird high guard type of style. Um, but it didn't seem like anything that he was comfortable with. So we'll definitely see Roberts have the advantage, uh, in that realm and i wouldn't even be surprised if we see him kind of get a tko victory strictly off of that but i'm going to take roberts to win by decision i think he rhymes this fight out um gets the better of uh brock uh pretty much in every asset uh aspect of this fight uh i don't see brock you know grinding this fight out i think roberts is just too good for that um you know pichel was able to get away with it but i think pichel has a much better wrestling game and he's even stronger than brock uh, so that's the issue there in terms of Brock's path to victory. So again, I'm going to take Brock Weaver, or sorry, I'm going to take a Roosevelt Roberts to win this fight by decision. Augusto Sakai versus Blagoy Ivanov. This is a fight between two guys who made a, a, a bit of a name for themselves outside of the UFC before they finally made a reno- arrival to the UFC. So Augusto Sakai used to be a pretty known heavyweight in the Bellator heavyweight division. Um... His only loss was a split decision to Czech Congo, which is a fight that a lot of people thought he could have gotten away with in terms of winning. Uh, and then Blagoy Ivanov, on the other hand, was a WSOF heavyweight champion who defended on numerous occasions uh, and then finally got his call up to the UFC. And now, you know, I, I kind of, I, I'm a big fan of whenever the UFC, like, pits together fighters that were champions in different organizations and then finally get them to the UFC and then have them face off a perfect one that i like to think about is um uh gilbert melendez versus eddie alvarez you know eddie alvarez used to destroy shit over on the bellator scene gilbert melendez a great fighter on the uh the strike force scene when they finally both got to the ufc at the same time they were able to put that fight together great great fight there um but now we got it in the heavyweight division and obviously these guys weren't champions like the other guys was other than uh blagoy ivanov of course uh but this is an intriguing fight uh both guys are quite durable um augusto sakai is more of a, a mover um in terms of like keeping keeping on his bicycle uh very good movement for a heavyweight pretty good striking defense too uh takes minimal damage in his fights um very rarely do you see him rocked or hurt uh just because he's really good at like 
he he's pretty mobile for a heavyweight, especially of his stature. Uh, in terms of like size, we're talking about six three, seventy seven inch reach, uh, and he usually comes in around two fifty eight, two fifty. So he's one of the bigger ones. And then Blagoy Ivanov, it seems like he always gives up a little bit of height just due to how thick the guy is. He's five eleven, uh, weighs in roughly around two fifty five with the seventy three inch reach. But one thing that you'll notice with him when he's fighting guys that he seems to be uh, at least intimidated by their power. Uh, he has no problem with being on his back foot. You know, the Junior Dos Santos fight, Junior was able to keep him on the end of his jab, pretty much just, you know, stick him up against the cage for the entire fight in terms of just keeping him backing up. Uh, the Ben Rothwell fight, you know, Rothwell was moving forward a lot, but not throwing enough in my opinion. Uh, but there was a good uh, argument that Ben Rothwell probably could have walked away with that fight too. Um but it, but in terms of how that fight played out, uh, it just seemed like Ivanov was was scared of the power coming back towards him. Uh, but unfortunately for Ben Rothwell, he just wasn't throwing enough to actually capitalize on that. So uh, Ivanov, it seemed in my opinion, like if you were to make an argument for him winning that fight, which three judges actually gave him, uh, it was that he was staying more active. Like he wasn't discriminating, you know, to the body or to the head. He was actually throwing punches uh, consistently to the body, whether it was like a one-two down the middle or just a one uh, to the bottom uh, or to the body and then a two back up to the head. Uh, in the tie to Ivasa fight, that was a fight that he didn't seem uh, as hesitant or as nervous about the power coming back at him. And we saw him open up his game a little bit more there. Uh, one tool that he really likes to use is his lead hook. So he's a southpaw. He really likes to flash his right jab out there, or sorry, his right hook. Um, he think, uh, you know, I really believe that uh, uh, he uses that as a counter. Uh, fighters don't really normally see that that uh, hook coming, uh, you know, from that angle. Um, so he's able to catch them behind the, their guard, uh, which is very impressive. And he was actually able to drop tied to Ivasa with it. I saw him flashing it a lot in the JDS and the Ben Rothwell fights, but he never really landed as much damage as he did uh, in that tied to Ivasa fight. So it was very uh, helpful for him there. So that's something that Augusto Sakai is going to have to to really um, you know keep in mind. The thing about Augusto Sakai though is he's one of the bigger heavyweights again too, and. I think that he'll be able to evade most of those right hooks that are coming at him. Um, so I think he'll be fine in that aspect. Um, but in the Derek Lewis fight, that was another one where we saw that Blagoy Ivanov was uh, kind of intimidated by the power that was coming back at him. So it was hard for him to really get settled in that fight. Uh, I feel like against Sakai, we might see him get a little bit more settled. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be too um, nervous about the power that's coming back at him. Uh, but I think still that Sakai is a little bit more active uh, when it comes to the striking realm. Moves a little bit better. Kicks a little bit better. Um, one thing that I hope Sakai kind of moves away from, uh, what, something that he did in the... Um, actually in the Tybura and in the Andreilovsky fight was grapple or not grapple but like clinch as much I think if it gets into the clinching position he's playing a little bit more into Blagoy's game uh, because he's going to want to keep Blagoy at the end of his jab he's going to want to keep him on the outside uh, you know Blagoy is a, a very good sambo rest uh, sambo practitioner I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty certain he has a victory over Fedor Emelianenko in Sambo. So that's something that uh, Sakai's going to have to worry about. If he wants to tie up with Blagoy, he's going to have to do his work and get out of there ASAP because Blagoy could, you know, 
produce some sort of trip. He was able to get Derek Lewis down, tied to Ivasa. Another thing that he'd like to do, something that he got tied, kind of tied up in, no pun intended, uh, was, uh, you know, whenever they were in clinch positions uh, and Ty was really digging for the underhooks, uh, Blagoy always tried, like, fished for his neck. Like, he was always trying to get him into, like, a headlock position, a guillotine-type position type of position to really snap him down get him on his knees uh maybe start to maybe his end goal was to you know get the back and slowly pound him out uh he's not he was never really able to get to that position but i'd be very surprised if he got augusta sakai to that position i think sakai actually has probably the best cardio that he's faced in the ufc outside of junior dos santos obviously that fight won a full five rounds uh but i think with augusto sakai he's gonna have to worry about somebody that moves even slightly a little bit better than junior dos santos maybe doesn't throw as much power as junior dos santos uh so that's something that he may not need to worry about I'm saying this even after Augusto Sakai completely put out Marcin Taibura. Uh, maybe not completely put out. That's probably an over-exaggeration of that TKO victory. Uh, but he did have some power in that clinch. Was able to land some beautiful uppercuts. And then he finally went ham on Taibura. And then was able to get the finish in that fight. Uh, I don't think he's going to have success. I don't think Augusto Sakai is going to have success in terms of putting Blagoy away. The closest we've seen Blagoy to getting hurt was uh, Tai Tuivasa landed a good shot in him that kind of wobbled him. Uh, but he was able to get his senses about him real quickly. Uh, and he was back in that fight. He ate a lot of shots from Derek Lewis. You know, that Derek Lewis fight was super close. Um, you know, the, the thing about Derek Lewis fights is he just fucking stands around for a good portion of the fight, lets the fighter, uh, lets his opponent get a bunch of uh, shots off, uh, you know, just strictly activity. And then he'll have these like 20 to 30 second spurts, maybe even less than that, where he lands these huge shots and maybe does some damage on his opponent. Um, but, you know, that that's why he's, Derek Lewis is always having such close fights, uh, no matter how much success his opponents are having. He can steal around just like that. So, uh, you know, Blagoy's had a had, had an interesting run, 2-2 two two in the UFC now. Uh, losses to JDS and Derek Lewis and then wins over Rothwell and Tuivasa. But unfortunately, I think he's going to eat his third loss here. I like Augusto Sakai to win this. I just think he moves a little bit better, has a little bit more output. Um, I, I'm just interested to see what kind of Blagoy we're going to see, strictly due to the fact that I don't think that he's going to uh, have as much respect for Augusto's power as he did for, you know, Derek Lewis and Junior Dos Santos, even Ben Rothwell. Again, that was a close fight, but still edged out that victory. But I like Augusto here. Um, he'll move better. He'll be able to evade the big shots of uh, Blagoy. My only concern is if he does try to tie up with Blagoy. Uh, Blagoy has sneaky trips that he should be able to land on uh, Augusto Sakai. So Sakai's going to have to be very, very sharp here uh, to make sure he doesn't get taken down. Um, and two, he doesn't stick around in that clinch super long uh he is successful in the clinch don't get me wrong but uh you're talking about another guy in Blagoy who could take advantage of those positions and we've seen you know uh Tai Tuivasa try to use that on uh Blagoy and Blagoy was always able to reverse the position get tie up against the cage uh and and make it a longer night for him but I think that uh Sakai could have slightly more success but I think that's also where the fight is most dangerous for Sakai um in terms of like you know incurring a loss here but I think that we'll see Sakai kind of put on like a kind of like the Andre Arlovsky type of performance uh, maybe with not as much clinching but a lot of like boxing a lot of movement a lot of kicks um, 
you know, uh, yeah, I like Sakai here. I think Sakai is actually going to win by decision. So maybe the over two and a half is something to look at. Uh, but even the odds straight up for Augusta Sakai, roughly around in the even money, minus 115, minus 110. I think there's a ton of value there too, considering the type of fighter that we get with Sakai. Very efficient with his movement, very efficient with his work. There's a reason he only has one loss on his record, which, you know, again, it could be completely the other way for him. Um, so I'd like Augusto Sakai to win here. I'm going to take him by decision, and he may possibly be a bet. So make sure you guys check out my Twitter account uh, to see if I actually pull the trigger on him or not. But I'm taking Augusto Sakai to win by decision. Main event time, we got Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. This is a very fun fight to to break down and look over, other than the fact that I had to watch the Wonderboy Thompson and Woodley fights once again. Uh, the Maya fight obviously wasn't that uh, eventful either, but it did give us some good insight in terms of what we can expect in this matchup in certain forms. So let's start off with Tyron Woodley. He hasn't fought since he lost to Kamaru Usman, which is when he lost his title as well. That was way back in March of last year. Uh, so it's been a long time since he was actually scheduled to fight. Uh, I believe he was supposed to fight Robbie Lawler uh, back in June. That one fell through. That was a main event. Uh, and then he was supposed to be main eventing on March 21st, uh, the week after this whole COVID shutdown. Uh, he was supposed to be fighting Leon Edwards as a headliner in uh, Leon Edwards' uh, backyard in London. Uh, that was a fight that I was really looking to bet Leon Edwards in. Kind of bummed that we're not going to get that fight now. Um, hopefully we get it in the future because that's something I definitely wanted to hop on for Leon Edwards. Uh, but this is a different challenge for uh, for Tyron Woodley here. So let's just break out Tyron Woodley in a, in a split second. Not even a split second, but in terms of just the fighter that he is. And it's very frustrating and I'm, I'm very... Uh, curious as to why most bettors are very uh, happy to to bet on Tyron Woodley especially in a spot here where he's fighting somebody similar to a Damian Maya mold but with better um, striking uh, more confidence in their striking um, more power in their striking too uh, and really good jiu-jitsu uh, with Tyron Woodley, you guys already know, like his main style, and he does this in every single fucking fight, is he literally just backs up, backs up, backs up. Once he is the cage or he gets close to being uh, threatened with something, he unloads with the right hand, and that's pretty much his his go-to. Um, he does paw his jab out there every now and then to kind of get the opponent to think about it, but he never really puts much behind it. It's more so just a, just something to get the fighter to think about something so he can come over with the right hand. Uh, the way he set up the finish against Robbie Lalo was very impressive too. That was one of those few spots where he was the one actually moving forward. But you notice that he kind of plays with the hands a little bit to get Robbie to react with it. And then on the third feint, he comes over with the right hook, lands perfectly clean on uh, Robbie Lawler and puts him out. That's really about it. Like It's almost like a Francis Ngannou style where you're kind of always banking on him to hit his 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 patent in right hand. You know, the Damian Maia fight was pretty easy for him. Damian Maia doesn't have the best striking, obviously. Um, he's, you know, a little bit more tentative on the feet. That allowed Tyron Woodley to land some good shots, drop him every now and then. But his output just wasn't enough either. Like, it it was enough against Damian Maia because Damian Maia knew his only shot to win this fight was to get it to the ground and hopefully pull off a submission. But very, very tough to get a guy like Tyron Woodley down when you have the 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 style of a Damian Maya. Gilbert Burns, in my opinion, is a little bit more aggressive with the takedowns. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to go out there and take Tyron Woodley down, but if this fight goes a little bit longer, uh, he has a good chance of landing some sort of takedown and possibly implementing his jiu-jitsu. Um, 
but finishing off with Tyron Woodley, it it's so it's mystifying to me that people are like happy to put money on him. This is a it's 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 just an intriguing style matchup here given Gilbert Burns' side. So Gilbert Burns, we've definitely seen a bit of a transition for him, uh, an improvement from him, uh, especially since that uh, Olivier Aubameyang-Mercier fight back at UFC 231. We saw a guy that was way more confident in his hands, was allowing his hands to go a little bit more. The work with Henry Hooft was definitely paying off at that point. Uh, landed really good shots on OAM, was able to drop him a couple times as well too. Uh, and then obviously he, he grinded almost that fight as well with his grappling and you know back control. Uh, so definitely a dominant grappler, uh, especially in the jiu-jitsu realm once it actually hits the ground. Uh, you know, he's landed some good takedowns as well in his past. Uh, the Alexei Kuchenko fight was able to land some good blast doubles. Uh, beautiful work there. Again, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that against Woodley, at least not in the first two rounds, maybe three rounds. Uh, but another improvement that we've seen from Gilbert Burns is his ever-improving cardio. Uh, in his first several fights in the UFC, we definitely saw an issue with his cardio. Uh, it didn't really let him, you know, um, you know, go, uh, go for it in the third rounds as he's able to nowadays. Um, you know, I like Gilbert Burns. Uh, he, again, his hands have looked very well. I'm very impressed with the power that he has in his lead hand as well, too. He was able to finish Damian Maya with it, or at least drop then finish Damian Maya with it. Uh, he was able to drop Olivia Obama-Mercier with it as well, too. That was beautiful. Um, his hands are looking very good, and his kicks are starting to get there, too. Uh, it was definitely leaving a mark on OAM. Again, a fight that's that allows you to see his full arsenal of skills. But the one thing that was evident in the Gunnar Nelson fight, um, in the, what was the fight before that? Uh, in the Gunnar Nelson fight, in the Alexei Kunchenko fight, in the Mike Davis fight as well too. He won most of these fights kind of clinching and grappling and pushing his opponent up against the cage and kind of just landing pitter-patter shots from there and kind of, uh, you know, letting the rest of his game open up from that. But most of it was pretty much clinching and grappling. Um I think that Woodley is going to be the stronger guy here. So if he tries to clinch and grapple with Woodley, um, one, I'd be interested to know if Woodley would try to take this to the ground. Is that somewhere he wants to be? You know, we got he got the the black belt after that Darren Till victory, but we all know that there's different levels to the shit when it comes to black belts. Uh, and two, um, I know for sure he'll be the stronger one in this position too, so I think he'll be able to to reverse positions here against Gilbert Burns, push him against the cage, maybe land some or maybe land some strikes at that point. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little mystified in terms of what's going to happen there. I I think this fight really hinges on the type of Tyron Woodley we see, like. One thing that we did see from him after the Kamaru Usman fight was the fact that he went over to AKA Thailand and put in some work over there. I, I'm not sure if it was AKA Thailand or it was Tiger Muay Thai, but one of those gyms he actually went over to in Thailand strictly to work on his Muay Thai, which is something that he definitely needs help on. Because he's, if he's able to get more confidence in his hands and not just that big right hand, he should be able to land some good shots with his left hand as well too, throwing some kicks in there, and that allows him to open up his wrestling game even more. Um, and then maybe he can stop just you know, plodding backwards. I'm not sure what kind of improvements we're going to see from Woodley. The guy just, you know, he's 38 years old too. That's kind of something that caught me off uh, guard when I was looking up this fight. I thought he was closer to like 34 or 35. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely getting up there in age. Gilbert Burns is a spry young, 33 years old, pretty much just hitting his peak now too. He's running a big winning streak, uh, has a ton of momentum going into this fight. Um, the odds... Uh, have stretched a little bit since I last looked at them. Uh, when I first looked at them, it was roughly around minus 140 for um, Tyron Woodley, minus 150 for Tyron Woodley. Now it's sitting around minus 170, plus 150 for Gilbert Burns. So 
without a doubt, in my opinion, the, the value here lies on Gilbert Burns. I think he has, if, if we see relatively the same Tyron Woodley this time out, um, uh, you got to give the slight advantage to Burns in the striking, strictly due to the fact that he throws more. Like, I'm not saying that he has more power than Tyron Woodley, but, you know, if all you're relying is on your right hand and the feint with the left every now and then, you got to give it to Gilbert Burns for having the better striking at this point. Like, he's just showcased so much better striking in the last couple of fights than Tyron Woodley has. And again, there's a difference between being a good striker and having power. Tyron Woodley has power. Gilbert Burns is on the track of being a good striker. And uh, again, I don't know what kind of striking we're going to see from Tyron Woodley from the work that he's doing over in Thailand. But if he brings any of those skills over to this fight, he could have a lot of success. I'm not sure how confident he is in terms of staying on top of Gilbert Burns if he decides to go the wrestling route here. I don't think he's going to try to do that. Um uh, especially later in the fight if it gets later in the fight he might be a little bit more sloppy um i expect again it's it's going to be tough to tell whose gas tank is going to be there in the third or fourth round if we get there um but man the value at plus 150 is on gilbert burns and i think i'll be playing at least one unit maybe 1.5 units on gilbert burns here i want to see how the rest of this card shapes out i'm actually recording this on uh may 19th so we still have 11 days to the fight um as of right now, there's only four fights announced for this announced for this card and that we have odds for. So I want to see what the rest of the card looks like in terms of uh, dog money. But I think uh, Gilbert Burns is definitely a very, very uh, live dog here. And uh, yeah, I, Tyron Woodley just has such a, a weird like resume the, the Kamaru Usman fights say which like I hate the fuck I the one thing that I hate the most is the fact that people always say that uh or Tyron Woodley himself has also said that he just didn't feel himself that fight that no motherfucker that's Kamaru Usman doing what the fuck Kamaru Usman does it's just like what Alexander Volkanovsky did to Max Holloway he shut his game down it's what Aljamain Sterling did to Jimmy Rivera he shut his game down Kamaru Usman forces guys to shut their games down because of his style, his forward pressure, his relentless, his relentless movement. Kobe Covington is another guy that if he fought Tyron Woodley, he probably would do the same thing. And I'm sure if some of you are watching this podcast right now, you guys are going to be like, you're fucking out of your mind. Tyron Woodley would smoke Kobe Covington. I don't think so. And I'm willing to put up a pretty penny uh, to to back up that that claim. So I hope that's a fight that we can get in the next year or two before, come on, before Tyron Woodley actually hits 40 years old. So uh, people can't blame his age on something. But... There's definitely a factor here. Gilbert Burns is the younger guy here. He looks like he's continuously getting better. Tyron Willie, we don't know what we're going to see. It's been just so long. So, um, yeah, I've been ranting a little bit too long about this fight just because I've been waiting to break down a Tyron Willie fight just to expose him, in a sense. You know, I mean, he's had a good little stretch of fights. Uh, last thing, last thing, I promise. The Darren Till fight. Darren Till lands zero significant strikes in that first round because he's too scared of the power of Tyron Willie. I get that. That's that's completely understandable. But what did Tyron Woodley do there as well? Like, he just waited to get backed up, get backed up, get backed up, and then boom, he was off like a slingshot trying to land the uh, the, de the death blow on uh, Darren Till in that fight. And then eventually in that in that second round, he got the, the rear naked choke. I'll give him kudos for pulling off of, not a rear naked choke, I'll give him kudos for pulling off that darts choke against uh, Darren Till. Beautiful choke, but... Is that really the fight you want to get your black belt after? <laughs> Darren Till's no jiu-jitsu wizard or anything crazy off the ground either. But uh, the Damian Maya fight, again, very easy. We saw all the wrestlers who have decent striking go out there and do the exact same thing to Damian Maya. 
Stephen Thompson, just a weird, different style in terms of some like it, it was just a lot of them just staring at each other. A weird, weird clash of styles where uh, we didn't get much action, so we didn't really see much from there. The Robbie Lawler fight, you know, two minutes into it, he puts Robbie Lawler out. That's his the power in his hands. The Kevin Gaslam fight was a weird one too. He did land some good shots on him. I think Kevin Gaslam had the better of the output there, but uh, you know, he did manage to rock Gaslam every now and then. Uh, he puts Dong Young Kim away. He loses the Roy McDonald fight. Carlos Condit gets injured. Josh Koscheck again another one where he wins by a punch it's very rarely that you'll see this guy actually pull off a decision victory like in the, in his strike force days uh he's pulling off decision victories because he's able to take these guys down and just grind them out and then after that you know the name Marquardt fight got stopped there i'm just going to keep going on and on but the only time that we've seen him win a decision you know the wonder boy fights and the kevin gaslam fight damien my fight as well too but uh, i, I I'd be hard-pressed to think that he's going to actually win a decision here against Gilbert Burns. So I wouldn't even mind seeing what the... Let's see if they have the... Yeah, they don't have the props out yet. But I'd be interested to see what Tyron Woodley not by decision is because I think there there might be a little bit of value there if you get that line at your book. So, all right, I'm going to finish this off. Gilbert Burns, uh, I'm going to take him by maybe third round submission, maybe fourth round submission. Uh, but I like Gilbert Burns here as a dog, and I might be playing him at uh, the plus 150 line that he's currently at. So keep an eye out for that. And yeah, uh, Gilbert Burns w- uh, pulls off the upset in the main event here. All right, that's a wrap on the breakdowns for this card. Um, I wonder if you guys agree with it again. Hit the comments below to let me know if you guys agree with it or not. Uh, and then see if we can get some banter going on. Um, lastly, again, I just want to plug the Patreon. Make sure you guys go check that out. It's in the description below. You guys get early access to these breakdowns as well as a bunch of other perks. Um, check me out on Twitter at MMALOTN. Uh, subscribe on the YouTube channel, please, please, please. I'm trying to hit that 1K mark before the end of the summer. Still got a little bit of time to do that. And I'm just about, I believe, 140 subs- subscribers away. Come on, y'all can close that gap. I have over, I'm closing in on like 2,700, 2,800 Twitter followers as well too. So even if like a third of you guys hopped on over and uh, and hit the subscribe channel, that would really fucking help. (laughs) So if you haven't already subscribed, make sure you guys do that shit. And then uh, I'll I'll see you guys next week. Uh, Yeah, good luck on your bets and let's make some fucking money.